0: All right. We're back. Season 4 rolling right along. Yes, sir. Jack, I am off to an awesome year, man. It's uh, starting off real strong.
1: One of the great things about being linked to the hip is that I'm following along with you in that awesome year.
0: Yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's, it's pretty great. Um, but I'm more excited to be talking to you this morning, but as always, um, what's, uh, what's, what, what's kind of top of mind for you and what do we have on deck for this week?
1: You know, I had an ass kicking conversation yesterday with a CISO for one of the neighboring states. And before I use his name, I'm gonna go back and ask him if that's okay. But we were talking about a set of plans that he was putting in place. And he had a really good question for me um, around how do you think about the bus problem? Right. And I've always used this in my terms, and he actually used bus, which is my metaphor. So I thought, you know, we were definitely in sync. Uh, but the idea is that cybersecurity is pretty complicated to begin with. Right. And finding enough people to do it at all is really, really hard. Right. Depending on who you talk to, there's either like a hundred thousand or a hundred million empty job spots open in uh, cybersecurity. Right. And all those people or some of those people have got to know something about a bunch of different types of security technologies. So once you've got that all put together and have it all in one place, how do you avoid the bus problem? Which for our audience is, um, if one of my folks get hit by a bus, what do I do? Right? Now, bad for the employee, so condolences. But if somebody actually, if you find yourself with with that problem, how do you do it? Because frankly, it was... Pretty much like being Sisyphus, trying to push the resource rock up the hill every day, trying to get enough people. Finally, you get enough people with all the right skills. How do you protect yourself against the bus or against that well-meaning, meaning, overpaying competitor who may steal one of your folks? So I think it'd be something fun to talk about today. So, we're, you know, we're oftentimes talking about how do you get the team and the strategy and the right approach and the right features in place for your cybersecurity program. How do you think about the bus problem?
0: Yeah, just out of curiosity, like how did you... Um how did how did you two approach working through that or kind of like talking through that?
1: Yeah, so it, it actually started off um, with two different areas of concern on on his part. One was that he was looking forward to having a really talented person who was going to be retiring, who was really good at an area of like policy development compliance work, right? So it wasn't so much technical, it was skill set and experientially based. So you know that was one set of things. And the other was that they've adopted some pretty pretty decent technology, but that has kind of a technical ramp to it. And he was concerned with how do you get the technical stuff. Um, so the one we started with first was the technical one, right? And now what's really exciting for me about this conversation is it gives an opportunity for two things to happen. One, you get to socialize security and security tech outside the security group. So one of my recommendations was, to look around, sort of take volunteers. They have a really strong technology support group in other areas of this IT management section of the state government. And I said, see if somebody wants to learn about some of this security tech to shadow, you know, what's going on, and make sure that their management—they're all underneath one really smart person who's running IT for the state. Um, but how do you how do you gather information and how do you interact with this technology and teach help somebody learn from outside of cybersecurity? My experience historically has been, really smart IT people love wrestling with the particular challenges of cybersecurity if they get to bite it off in sort of bite-sized chunks. So for me, one way to resolve that technical bus challenge was to do that. Uh, the second way was to talk to the vendor themselves. This is a really well-established vendor, um, has its own sort of retainer and professional services stuff going on. And I said, I would let them know that this is what your concern is. And is there a way that they can help you to mitigate that exposure by having something which is sort of like a just-in-time, right? Don't be paying them a retainer because you're not going to plan for somebody to find a new job and get hit by a bus, Uh, but they should let you know what's the ramp time, what's going to happen, how much um, sort of gap will there be between the time somebody makes a decision or leaves and the time that they can have somebody spun up and understanding you, because it may change the context of that relationship. And so that, that was sort of the way we started talking about it, especially within an organization where they did have really strong IT leadership in general across the state. And where they also had the the capacity to have those conversations without looking like they're poaching somebody inside.
0: It's a challenging topic, but it's one that I see most people talking about right now. Mm-hmm. When I think about this issue, it's multifaceted, right? In the sense where there's there's a business component to this there's a security component to this there's a people component to it there's a technology component to it now first and foremost when i think about um uh this this issue like how do we ensure um evangelization continuity continuation of cybersecurity in a business where you're lean and stretched on resources right loss of any one person or any one function is completely catastrophic to the entire mission and goal of what you're trying to do. So, um, just, just starting there, you know, philosophically, like if, if you're thinking about this, like, like a true business executive in, in nature, right. And saying like, we have to solve, we we have to solve this issue for, for the business, the organization or entity that we work for. Um, how do like how how do we do this when when continuity is a concern? And just just as a starting point, before I get into the other areas, is saying you uh, you are the torchbearer. You as the security leader are the torchbearer for your organization. And there's no one that's gonna kind of wave that torch like like you are, right? It's your core job. your soul. Fo- it's your soul focus. It's your passion, right? But your job at this point fundamentally needs to be: you need to get other torch within the organization, and that could be within your department. But but realistically, the more effective version is you need to enable others to like to light their torch to carry the mission forward in IT, in legal, in risk, in um, HR, and you need to you need to create more torch with you. So like. In the absence that you disappear, everybody else's torch is lit as well, and they're they're kind of carrying the message, they're evangelizing the message, and um, they're parting they're they're part of the solution. Just straight from like a business standpoint, if like the the terrible scenario happened where it's saying like you couldn't come to work for whatever reason, um, you have other evangelists within the organization to like carry this forward for um, for the benefit of security and for the benefit of the organization, and that's 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 a true like executive characteristic that i feel like a lot of people overlook of saying like if you're going to be a true business leader like you like you really have to carry this it's not about like what you do it's what you create within the organization and the culture that you manufacture so i think first and foremost that's that's one aspect and i realize like that's that's easier said than done but this is also the reason why i say part of being a security leader is uh part right? And the best ones are politicians, right? So that's one aspect. The other side to it here is basically the uh, technical aspect and the people aspect. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with the, the technical pieces before I get into the, the people side, but I would say um, in, in all cases, um, security technology can be a challenge, not only to get your arms around it, to understand it, how to best deploy it? How to afford it? How to make it relevant year over year? And that's something that that we all struggle with, like the threat landscape and shifting super fast, and technology is shifting with it. And so, um, what I what I often tell people is, don't buy security technology for a feature's sake. It has to mean more to you than than this one singular thing if you're making a significant investment in it. And so, like. Let me give you a, uh, like a, like a real easy example. And I'll kind of, I'll, will spare all the brand names that I normally like throw under the bus, <laughs>
1: since
0: we're talking about buses, um, is that um, there's some security technology that in the market today, that's very fancy, it's popular. Um, it's, it's kind of a sexy brand name to have in your, like your, like quiver of, of security tools, right? Um, but realistically, like most people don't use everything is part of that platform rather they're like pulling in one feature and the thing you have to like really start to weigh out is saying like in the world of budget constraints like how important is this individual feature for you knowing that it's costing you more than probably what it should just to have this one thing and so i kind of like the, the the short version of this is like when i kind of roll this all out is You have to be really intentional and purposeful about what outcome you're trying to achieve with the technologies that you're choosing to deploy within your environment. And like, just said another way, um, you should never lift a finger or make an investment as it relates to cybersecurity technology, unless you're 100% sure, 100%, not 95%, 100% sure, the value and the outcome that you're gonna achieve from having it. So like, don't, don't expend any effort into lifting some things that might be like Im- ambiguous, and you're not sure of what you're actually going to get out of it. Like, it it needs to move the ball down the field for you. Like that's just the bottom line. And and in the world of budget constraints, like that could be buying something off the shelf, but it could also be something open source, right? Mm-hmm. Which then takes me to the third the third category here, which is like people of saying if everything that I said under technology is true and accurate, and you can philosophically believe. There's no wasted effort whatsoever. There's no extra gyrations, no motions that are not required. Um, The purpose and intentionality of like your staff becomes very, very clear at that point. And whether you have one person doing the function or you have uh, five people doing the function or you're in the the luxurious situation where you have five people doing the function and you you have continuity, um, you can be very clear and specific about what people are doing within their job, and specifically what outcomes they're trying to create. The benefit to that in the short term is not only does it become easier to like, rip and train your staff and develop your staff, and in our in our industry, it's reasonable to think they're going to grow. Staff is going to grow. They're going to mature. They're going to look for new challenges. And whether they leave voluntarily or invol or like or like someone recruits them away, the the risk of that is 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 very real and present. But those steps and those artifacts that you create about intentionality, purpose, outcome. Now, what you've fundamentally done is you've broken down uh, the job duties and tasks of a security professional into smaller, single-sized pieces that are easier to uh, train. It's easier to recruit for if you hire. If you have to hire like someone new into the into the position, um, not only. you can you be very clear about what you have to train them on you can be very clear about what the outcome and it's reasonable to think at that point is even someone new to the role could be highly productive um because you're not asking them to be everything to everybody you're not asking them to be a unicorn you're saying hey based on you know how we've designed our security program we need this one function done because it creates this very specific outcome we know exactly what we want to do and here's here's how you do it right and then once you've uh once you've established that point you have your toehold you have a new person coming in they're immediately productive they're immediately helping you you can start to chart a career path for them but now once you start to show them some success it becomes easier to give them the second thing right and you're not overwhelming and you're not like overburdening them with a department that's understaffed and you know kind of underutilized if you will so um, I think it's like it's it's kind of a, a really long winded answer, but I don't I, I don't think there's um there's one like like single answer to it. I think it's a multifaceted, dynamic issue that um, people have to take a holistic view of how you how you approach it.
1: Yeah, you know, it's great because one of the things that you were just talking about it made me remember something that this CISA was talking about that the one of the things that they've done is they've gone through all of the sort of legion of documents that are associated with the way that they manage their cybersecurity. And they've actually been very thoughtful about reorganizing this into a more consumable library of goodness. And as we were talking about, I'm like, man, this is a perfect reason to do that well, right? Because if those people with that experience are taking the time to make the way that they do that consumable in small bites for other people, if something does happen, whether it's something great, like they win the lottery and they leave, or something that's less great, um, that function will still be well enough to find that a less experienced pe- person may be able to step in, follow those guidelines, and make it go. And I, would, I want to touch again um, on that intentionality in a different way. Because something you were saying reminded me of an experience I had probably 15 years ago. And this was within, it's long enough ago I can say who it was, uh, with the Dallas Federal Reserve Bank right? Another Ooh. super strong group, super well led. And as the audience knows that know you have to listen to it all the time. I've run a bunch of software companies, right? That I built out, and they did a trial of one of the products that came out of Ounce. Ounce was the source code analysis um, company that IBM bought uh, for the listeners. Anyway, um, so we went down there and as you can imagine, something like that's pretty complicated. And so people tried it in all kinds of different ways, what have you. And there's typically a lot of hand-holding. And what the team down there said, first time, last time I've ever heard it, except for people I've recommended it to, they said, all right, so here comes the trial. Pretend you just sold it to us. So I don't want your sales engineer here. I don't want you calling me every friggin' day because you're not going to do that after I sign the check. You're going to drop it off just like the way you would. Give us the onboarding, let's go. But then we're done. We'll call you when we need you. Do not call us, right? Do not offer your excellent support because frankly, you're not going to do that for all your clients after it's done. And I want you to know we're doing this with all the vendors who are coming in, because we have to figure out, to your topic of intentionality, how we're going to use it, how we're going to use it with different people, how hard it is for new people to use it. And I don't want you here helping them, because frankly, you're not going to be here helping them, right? And so they went through this process, and I only know about it because we actually won it, which was nice. But as I asked them to go through it, because it was a really eye-opening learning experience for me, because it was so unlike... Ordinarily, from a company perspective, you expect that handholding, that support to show you off as like this great partner, and maybe it does, right? But they didn't care as much about um, the effect of that partnering, although they wanted a great partner. They cared about how good the thing was that they were paying money for, the service was that they were taking on, right? And I just thought it was a brilliant, brilliant approach. And I think that if the organization goes into these technology purchases which that, with that same intentionality, they can actually make this, how do I support this in the event that the person wins the lottery and is gone? I'm going to call it the lottery question instead of the bus question because I'm really just like
0: yeah.
1: how maudlin that freaking metaphor is. Um, but if somebody wins a lottery, um, that the organization understands how they'll, how they'll carry the ball forward. And the last thing, this is great. I love this word. I feel like I'm on the sine wave of Justin commentary, right? Because I'm starting at, the, starting at your end, coming back to your beginning, you're over the top. Um, the other one is j- just talking a little bit about the idea that you're helping these folks to understand what's going to happen if the need arises for them to come into the job. And I'm thinking that you know a lot of the listeners have probably listened to the episode we did recently that talked about... Um, Uh, less experienced skill set in a high experience job, right? And how do you find your way home from there? And as we were talking, I'm like, you know, a lot of this does come to sort of succession planning, right? That when you're in a role, and I don't care if you're the CISO trying to think about the next CISO, or whether you're the person in charge of pen testing, in charge of making sure that somebody else will be able to understand and handle those results and do the test later. As security people knowing how strapped our industry is for resources, I think that a focus and an emphasis on training up the next person in line is really, really important. And it's important in a way that we don't typically think about it, right? We always think about, all right, maybe who's going to be the next CISA. But I think for every one of these areas, whether it's compliance, you know, information assurance, whether it's pen testing, attack simulation, application security, pick your domain inside of security, I think that the ability for the organization to value and to invest in the training and the upskilling of folks who may be called upon to take the job on if something great happens for the person who's in it today. I think that, to the points you're making, it's really, really important and probably indicates um, a solid organization when they have other people to, to, in your words, carry that torch forward You know, for cybersecurity.
0: Yeah, it's all, it's all spun on. The um, one I kind of come back to is your um, example you gave about like the technology onboarding for the entity in Texas, there was, um, I think, uh, for, for a lot of organizations, the, the lesson is in the struggle, right? You know, and, um, that's ultra uncomfortable for people. But I think if you, um, for people who can get, get comfortable being uncomfortable, if that, that makes sense. Um, and be used to like living in that, uh, that situation, um there's, there's some great lessons to, to be learned there that um, I, I think will pay, pay dividends in the long run.
1: Yeah, and, and that feeling of discomfort recognize it's not just going to be on the part of the organization who's, as an example, sort of doing the test or the trial. If you ask the vendor to leave you alone while you figure this out, and they're like, no, we don't do that. We love you so very much. We're going to help you turn all those knobs. And you say, again, no, I don't think so. And they say, well, we really have to. Realize that they know that they're uncomfortable, that they're not comfortable, that their stuff's going to work without them shepherding your experience of it, and that's probably another good indication for you going forward that maybe you want to find out at least dig in with them to find out why are they so uncomfortable with you trying to do this on your own, and you know yeah. if they are that if they are that uncomfortable, will they give you the free PS professional services you know over over the course of time to make sure the thing keeps running smoothly? So I, I think that that discomfort's a great point.
0: It's like weightlifting right? Like when you're, when, when, when your muscles are sore and it hurts a lot and you're really uncomfortable, that's how you know, like that's when you know, like your muscles are actually growing.
1: Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Right. Well, good. Thanks for, thanks for digging into that. I thought it was fun. I thought those were great comments from that CISO and I hope the listeners liked it as well.
0: Yeah. Awesome. All right. We say we wrap this one. Wrapping. All right, man. Um, all right, so anybody listening, um, if you've enjoyed our episode, please like, share, uh, help us distribute the security gospel to, uh, t- to those whom you think might be interested. If you need cybersecurity help, info at newharborsecurity.com, we can give you a hand. Um, if you have uh, questions for Jack and I, you have topics that you would like to have covered, Questions answered. Um, you have items for a mailbag. You want to have uh, Jack and I opine on different types of security technology. Um, you can reach us at pwned at newharborsecurity.com and we'll get you on the next episode.